The following has been recorded at Cairn University. Any reproduction of this recording without the express permission of the university is prohibited. Thank you, Mr. Kaywood. Oh, meet me in St. Louis. Hey, just a word, uh, gentlemen, in case you were dozing off this morning. Uh, if you have a free ticket and other students have a free ticket, that's a very cheap date. Just want to make a note of it, right? That's a very cheap date. Lots going on this weekend, and I hope that you have a good one. Uh, and uh, uh, Lord willing, uh, spring is on its way. I did see that uh, some law enforcement official in Pittsburgh issued a warrant for Punxsutawney Phil, the groundhog, that he might be arrested on the charges of deception uh, <laughs> that actually made the news this morning. Uh, I got a prompt on my phone, so the groundhog is in trouble. Um, but hopefully we're free and clear of that, and uh, spring will be... Uh, upon us very shortly here on the campus. But thank you to all you students who cooperated during the last storm here to stay off the roads and to help us get the campus clear. And I want to thank the campus services staff who did an outstanding job of getting everything taken care of. By the time you do four of these in three weeks, you get pretty good at it. And so uh, that's really, uh, really grateful for that team and for all their work. This morning we are going to continue the series on the habits of virtue, and this, we're going to look at the virtue of justice, but before we do that, I'd like to pray together. So please join me. Father in heaven, we do indeed thank you for this day and for every day that you give us. We thank you for all the blessings of our life, for the things that we are able to enjoy on a daily basis. We thank you for the blessing of friends and family and for the successes and joys that we experience on a daily basis. We're grateful for all the blessings of this life that we get to take part in. and We thank you for the privilege that we have to know you and to be known by you. We thank you for the way you care for us and meet our needs according to your will. And Father, we thank you for all the blessings that we receive, chief among these, the blessings that are ours in and through your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the gifts and abilities that you've given us to use for his service, we're mindful of all these things, and yet, Father, we're also mindful to be grateful for adversity and for trials and challenges, for the things that we can learn from our failures as well as our successes. We thank you for the physical trials that we experience and for the personal and interrelational trials that we experience, because we know that your word teaches us all these things are used to develop in us strength and character to make us better and stronger and more faithful servants of yours. And so, Father, while today we thank you for all of the good things that make us smile, we also thank you for all the things in our life, for we know that everything that comes from you is a good and perfect gift. And, Father, we pray that you would make us grateful servants and followers of our Lord Jesus Christ. And to that end, Father, we pray for one another, even this day. We ask, Father, that for those in our midst that are feeling sick ill, struggling with the flu or fatigue, that you would grant them strength according to their days, that you would give them all they need to fulfill their duties and obligations, though they feel weary and less than 100%. Father, we pray for those who are feeling overwhelmed. We ask that you would give them grace in their hour of need, that the burdens of their studies or other things in their lives outside of this institution, that you would give them grace that you would make us a blessing and encouragement to them, that you would give us the grace and care and compassion to uphold our brothers and sisters, to come alongside one another and offer words of encouragement to serve one another as you have commanded your followers to do. 
Father, we're mindful of the needs uh, in this institution. We're also mindful of the needs beyond the walls of our university. We pray, Father, even as this winter season extends, that you would give grace and strength to those who are helping the less fortunate in our region. We thank you for the services provided and for the men and women who are caring for those who have no homes, who have no means. We ask, Father, that you would grant them grace to continue to meet those needs, that they would be your servants and your, your instruments to care for those who have little or nothing. Father, we're mindful of the needs beyond the walls of this institution. We're mindful of the terrible, terrible tragedies that have befallen our country. We think of the violence that we see on an almost daily basis. And Father, we thank you for the men and women who serve in leadership and who serve as first responders. And Father, we also thank you for the citizens who step up to draw attention to areas needing to be addressed. We thank you for the freedom that we enjoy in this country to express ourselves, to disagree with one another. We thank you for these freedoms and liberties that come from your hand, and we ask that you would make all of us as citizens good stewards of these freedoms and liberties, that we would understand they come with great responsibility and that we all have roles to take up in the national dialogue and in serving one another beyond the body of Christ. We pray that you would give us as Christians the grace to be your servants in a fallen world. Give us the grace to be compassionate and wise, to be bold and courageous, to seek what is right and true and beautiful. Father, we do pray for our brothers and sisters around the world who are experiencing persecution, for those believers in your son Jesus who are facing the threat of life and limb on a daily basis, for those ministry leaders who have been imprisoned for preaching the gospel, for their families who are being threatened. We pray for grace for our brothers and sisters around the world. And Father, while so often in our own experience we cannot imagine such, such palpable persecution, we ask that you would make us faithful in praying for our brothers and sisters around the world. That the way in which they conduct themselves and live their lives and minister even the way in which they die, if necessary, would point the lost to your son, Jesus. Father, we pray for your servants around the world. We pray for our graduates who are serving in hard places. We ask that you would give them grace to serve you well in proclaiming and living out the gospel of Jesus in foreign lands. And Father, we pray also for the churches that are being raised up and built in closed countries where the gospel is shut out. We pray for those national pastors and church leaders who run congregations often from their homes and different homes each week to avoid arrest. We ask that you would give them grace to preach faithfully and boldly the truths of your word and that the power of the gospel would penetrate these lands in a profound way. Uh, we pray that you would make us mindful not only of the needs within our own circle of friends or within our own personal lives or within our own institution or neighborhoods or country, but you would give us a sense for what you are doing in the broader world and a sense for what you have done down through history. We thank you for our place in it. We thank you that you have given us these days and these years to be your people. We ask that you would make us faithful in all we do as your people in the days we have been given. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. 
So today we want to continue this series on the habits of virtue. Just a bit of review. We're talking about the cardinal virtues. And we talked about them beginning of the semester, the four virtues that we're focusing on, wisdom, temperance, justice, and fortitude. These originally formulated with Plato, we talked about these not being the sole propriety, property of the ancient Greeks, but that these are biblical ideas, biblical virtues, biblical qualities that you and I are to possess as followers of Jesus and as his servants on this earth, that we are to be wise and we are to be temperate, we are to be people of justice and people of fortitude or courage. These virtues are to be part of who we are and they are to be lived in the way that we uh, walk this earth. They are not virtues to be held to in some abstract philosophical sense or theological sense. They're to change the way that we interact with one another and with the world around us. Virtue is that idea of power. Remember, we talked at the beginning of the semester that woman presses through the crowd to touch the hem of Jesus' garment, and the Bible says that Jesus turned and said, Who touched me? For I felt virtue leave me. Virtue, those kinds of character qualities are powerful. They have impact. Not just that they benefit us or make us better people, but they impact everyone around us and the world in which we live. There is force and power behind the virtues. They're not just character traits or qualities that we possess that are nice to possess. They have impact. And so we talked a little bit about that and the fact that this is tied to our mission as an institution. We expect our graduates to be men and women of character, of virtue. In fact, we considered using that term virtue in the mission statement to capture this idea that it isn't just that you become a better person, but being that kind of person who seeks after God and his ways, you would live a different kind of life and serve in a different way. We also talked about this idea that these cardinal virtues, the word cardinal not from highest, but from cardus, which means hinge, that they are all tied to one another, relate to one another, rely upon one another, and we'll see that illustrated very profoundly today. There is no justice as a virtue without wisdom and courage. It requires both. And so they are hinged together, these virtues, they are tied to one another. It would be difficult to have the, the, the virtue of wisdom and not be a temperate person who goes to the right length of something and no further. It would be difficult to be a person of wisdom and temperance who knows what it is to control themselves, to not then expect others to control themselves in the treatment of those less fortunate. It would be difficult to want to pursue justice and doing rightly in this world without having the courage to do it when it is not popular or when it will cost you much. The virtues are tied together, but also they're not just tied together in the way that Plato envisioned them. The Bible teaches this. The Bible talks about these virtues, and often not just one at a time, but all together. And the passage that we'll look at this morning in Proverbs chapter 2 does just that. It relates all of the virtues to one another and what it means to live rightly on this earth. And the final thing I want to note in review is that we talked about this issue of habit. That the virtues are not something that you read and therefore possess. That the virtues of wisdom, temperance, justice, and fortitude are not things that you pull off the shelf to use as a tool or an instrument in a particular situation. It is to be developed in you as a habit. And habits are formed by the doing of them not just the knowing of them. We talked a little bit too and used this, this principle often and you need to understand this just for your personal lives but also as it comes to virtue and character. Habits are a very curious thing, right? Good habits are very hard to form. 
very hard to form and very easy to break. And anyone who's tried to get into a new pattern of life in, with regard to health and exercise knows very hard to make it work and very easy to break it. Experts tell us you've got to go 10 days in a row before it even gets close to being a habit. And then you have to fight every day thereafter. And bad habits, conversely, are very easy to form. Without even paying attention, you form a bad habit. And how do you get rid of it? With strain and pain and intense focus. Bad habits are easy to get and hard to break. Good habits are hard to get and easy to break. It's the condition of the human in a fallen world. And yet we're called to be people of virtue. And to be people of virtue, we must practice them habitually. We have to be about the business of doing these things. You cannot be wise if you do not practice it. You cannot be temperate as a quality if you do not practice it. You cannot be a person of justice if you do not practice it. And there's no being courageous if you spend your life hiding. You have to do things in order to be people of virtue. The habit requires action. And so we've talked about wisdom and temperance last time. We'll talk yet about justice and fortitude. And today I want to talk about the concept, the virtue of justice. This is a very tricky one. It's a very tricky one because it is full of cultural implications and ramifications. It is a term that is used in multiple contexts in the world in which we live and in multiple ways. It has multiple modifiers in front of it. Social justice, economic justice, legal justice, criminal justice. It's part of the warp and woof of American culture. right? My dad would have, would have listened to a radio show when he was a boy, the Superman radio show before the days of television, which would have started with this. Superman, if anybody's into the comic books, I am not, but if, you, if you're into the comic books, it talks about Superman as being the champion of what? Truth, justice, and the American way. Truth, justice, and the American way. Today, culturally, we hear truth, justice, and the American way, and for some of you, the hair goes up on the back of your neck. I don't really like that, but there's, there's something to be said about that being a, 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 something that's been in place for generations. Truth, justice, and the American The Pledge of Allegiance says what at the end? And justice what? For all. We have this symbol of justice, which is the blindfolded lady of justice holding the scales of justice that she might show no partiality in weighing that out. Truth, justice in the American way, and justice for all. Lady justice, and yet what bothers us is that none of that seems to be true in the real world in which we live. And because we see so much injustice and have so many issues around the, the, this idea of justice, we tend then to think that it is unattainable Or we confuse what it is and we lose sight of the fact there is no justice in the world without a virtuous people who hold the virtue of justice dear. And so when we think about the world around us, this is the issue that we wrestle with. The world is harsh. Culturally, justice matters to us as Americans, but we have all kinds of other things going on around us. Social justice, cultural justice, political justice. We started a criminal justice program. For some people, justice is equaling things out for other people justice is meeting out punishment for the victim of a crime the term justice is a very complex one in the world in which we live it's not just complex because the word means so many different things but because culturally we attach so many other meanings to it and emotions to it the real issue for us as christians is before we find ourselves being dragged along in a way where we think about justice solely from a political perspective or an economic perspective or a legal perspective, 
that we remember first that we are Christians and all those forms of justice should not supersede biblical justice. The idea of what the Bible teaches regarding justice should be first and foremost in our minds. To be people of biblical justice should be of primary importance to us. A justice that is Christ-centered. A justice that requires the care and compassion exhibited by our Lord Jesus. A justice that is thoughtful, that is consistently applied, that is rooted in our faith, that sees as its source and substance a holy and righteous and just God. Because when we lose perspective on that, we get frustrated with the world around us. Because we want it to operate justly, and yet we know that it doesn't. And here's my concern, that too often for us as Christians, we lose sight of the fact we should not be surprised. We should not be happy with injustice, but we should not be surprised about it because we live in a broken and fallen and sinful world. Even Reinhold Niebuhr, the theologian and philosopher of the 20th century, uh, said this, that politics, sadly, the business of politics is to bring justice to a sinful world. Can you imagine a political philosopher today saying that, that what we need to do is bring justice to a sinful world? And so what happens for us as Christians is bringing that biblical perspective to bear on the world is really important because it is frustrating to look around and see a world where we see such injustice. We just had a group come back from ministering to refugees. The injustices that refugees suffer are, are considerably overwhelming. The, justice, the injustice that we see in the world around us and in our own country is troubling to us. These things were troubling to the psalmist, to David. In Psalm 10, 16, he talks about God being the God of justice who will visit the oppressed and liberate the, the, the prisoners. He will set everyone free and bring justice on this earth. I'm telling you this, David's world was not that just. David was teaching himself that God will one day make it right, though today it is not. David's psalms are not psalms declaring that, that everything will be perfect in this world. He's teaching himself that he needs to understand that God is a just God, even when injustice takes place around him. And that his job, then, is to act justly towards others. David wrestles with this honestly in the psalms. Because he knows that God cares, but he also knows that the world is sinful. In fact, the world is harsh. This shouldn't surprise us. Nature is harsh little divergence for a minute here. Everybody at Cairn University knows that we have geese. <laughs> geese from one end of the campus to the other. They torment the soccer teams, the baseball team, the softball team. They torment my dog on a regular basis. There are geese everywhere. They're beautiful, especially against the snow and the pond. Everything's so picturesque. But there's one goose. You know who I'm talking about. The crippled goose. There's one goose who for weeks was hopping around on one leg, dragging one leg behind it. We were watching this because I get a view of the pond and watching this from the office. She hops and she bends down and eats. She's eating. That's a good sign. I know a little bit about animals. Animals that eat don't die quickly, right? She's eating, she's hopping around, there's hope. She hops a little bit, we're watching her for a while, then the snow came, we're wondering, did she survive? Did my dog get her? There are all these kinds of questions in everybody's mind. Where did she go? Then she showed up. And she's not hopping on one leg anymore. She actually gets that second leg down, she's got a little gimp 
right? Touches the ground, moves forward. She's actually moving on two legs, slowly but moving, and still taking nourishment. And then this morning, two other geese cornered her and began to drive her off and peck at her head and peck at her body. Look at you, you're, you're tormented. I mean, it's, you know, it's a, this is what happens, right? This poor goose. She was doing so well. I mean, she's, up, she's on both feet. She's getting around. And two other geese come out of nowhere and drive her off and start to treat her harshly. And a friend of mine noticed this and said, that, that's not right. And my response is, they're geese. <laughs> geese do not hold internally an ethic or a value that says, young Mary over there is getting around on one leg. Let's go put a wing around her and make sure she gets down to the pond safely. They're geese. In nature, there is no such thing as that kind of intrinsic. We want to make it that way. We make animated movies that turn dogs into Mother Teresa, but they're dogs, right? In the natural world, the idea of grace and compassion and mercy and, and justice doesn't exist. Only survival. In the fallen natural world, there's a harshness. Those geese see that weaker goose as competition for resources, for mates, for nests, for food. Expecting the geese to act towards one another with justice is naive at best. Expecting human beings to act with justice towards one another is a belief in the reflection of the divine image in humankind, and we should expect no less. The issue is that in the natural world, we, could, we put ourselves, we look at the natural world and say, oh, if only they could. They can't. They are geese. When we look at the human world and we say, if only they could, they can, but they're hindered by their own sinfulness and life in a fallen world. But for us as Christians, it should be completely different. And so this idea, when we look at the harshness of the world around us, leading us to the conclusion that there is no hope, or our only hope is in the law and in policy and in politics, is short-sighted. Because everyone who touches those things, who has fallen, is broken. And in chapter 2 of Proverbs, we see this clear connection of the virtues together that give us instruction on how to live. The father says to his children, for the Lord, verse 6, for the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. A connection between justice and wisdom. He's a shield to those who walk in integrity. A connection between virtue and, and courage. Guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. Then you will understand his righteousness and justice and equity. Every good path for wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion, temperance, will watch over you. Understanding will guard you. Delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech who forsake the paths of right, uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil. Men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. They are not us. That is not who we are. The followers of God, the people of God, are people of virtue, wisdom, temperance, justice, fortitude, understanding that all of that finds its source and substance in a righteous God. And so in Proverbs chapter 2, in these verses, we see that virtue is action-oriented, that it is God-oriented, 
that it directs the way we live. And so because of that, it doesn't just benefit us, it benefits others and the world around us. And more so, it differentiates us from the wicked. We can have political discussions and disagreements about how this actually works out. But as Christians, we should not be in disagreement that we are to be people who follow God's word and way when it comes to the treatment of others. Because God's way clearly outlines that. In Proverbs chapter 21 and verse 3, it talks about the connection between being upright and being just in your treatment towards others. We all know the passage in Micah 6.8, God has already shown us what is good and required of us. But to do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with our God. In Proverbs, it tells us that, that doing justly to others is what the Lord wants rather than sacrifice which in the Old Testament would have been everything. Proving your rightness before God, it's more important that you do justice to one another and do justly towards one another than to offer sacrifice. In James chapter 1, the apostle says, this is true and undefiled religion, that you visit orphans and widows in their time of need. And lest we forget the other side of justice, Romans chapter 13 teaches us about the government's role in justice. And it says, be careful, for he bears not the sword for nothing. It is his obligation to punish the wrongdoer. Justice is not just about dollars and opportunity. It's also about guarding and protecting the innocent. It is about caring about rightness and fairness. And Niebuhr is right. It's a hard thing to bring that to a fallen and sinful world. Even in the book of Job, God's servant who is suffering, Job recognizes in chapter 9, verse 19, that God is perfect. And he says, are we to contend with God? He is mighty. Are we to argue justice? Who can summon God and question him on the stand? The idea is that God is above human ways, and he is righteous. Even the suffering servant of Job, the suffering servant Job, did not view what he was experiencing as injustice, but he saw it as something that came from the hand of God who is just and said no one can question the justness of God. Trust me, there's lots of justice you want in this world, but it is not God's. Because if he gives us what we deserve, we are in for a world of hurt. We throw ourselves at his mercy because he is a just God. Understanding these things rightly have an impact in the way that we think about virtue that we would not see it solely as an issue of policy or law or economics but that you and i as biblical christians would wrestle with this issue of justice as a virtue first and foremost because to wrestle with justice as a virtue means that we will be required to apply to it wisdom the bible's tricky this way the bible's very tricky this way on these kinds of ideas it's very clear, but it is not easy. It's hard. An example, always for me, is the issue of wealth. Today we live in a culture that vilifies everyone who is wealthy. But the Bible does not do so. The Bible doesn't say that money is the root of all evil. The Bible says what? The love of money is the root of all evil. That's what the Bible says. Job was considered the most righteous man in the land. There was no end to his property or his livestock. It doesn't necessarily mean that because he had means, he was wicked. 
In fact, his friends assumed that he must have mismanaged his resources in some way, that God took it all from him. There's no connection. Job is an upright man whom God blessed and prospered. The man in in whose tomb Jesus was laid was a rich man and a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet Jesus confronted another rich man and said, it's easier for the camel to pass through an eye of a needle than a rich man to get to heaven. It is the love of money. That will require much of you, men and women, to judge the world around you, not by who is wealthy, but who has made money an idol. That requires more of you. It requires more of you to look at the issue of justice and not say, what are the popular issues around justice, but what is true justice in a particular sense? What is, how do I uphold justice while also observing the Ten Commandments that say that you should not steal someone's property or covet someone's property? How do I rectify this issue of justice with the issue of force when John the Baptist tells the soldiers who come to him at the river, what must we do to repent? And John doesn't say, put down your swords and leave the military. He says, take money from no one by force and be content with your wages. Following the Bible will require you to apply wisdom to these virtues. Because we cannot afford to become apathetic and believe that justice is something that can never happen and we should not care about because the world is broken and fallen and it just doesn't matter. Neither can we be swept along by the cultural trends related to it. As followers of Jesus Christ, we must first be people of virtue who do justly to others. And this is the concluding thing. Justice in the Bible is always other-oriented. There's no sense in the Bible that you as an individual get to stand up and claim for yourself justice. Only that you treat others justly and that you defend those who are treated unjustly. The early Christians, there was a practice among them that is, is actually a little bit hard to comprehend. That early Christians would sell themselves into slavery to purchase someone from slavery so that they could be freed to hear the gospel. Christians selling themselves into servitude to free others. Because the Christian recognizes Nothing I have matters. It is all about the forward advance of the gospel in the lives of lost men and women. To do justly means that you care about doing justly to others. Now let me challenge you to think about this. Think for a minute about justice, not in the political, economic, or social sense first. Those matter. But think the ways in which you, as a follower of Jesus Christ, are doing what the Lord told the prophet Micah to proclaim to God's people, are doing justly, loving mercy, and walking humbly before your God with those who are right next to you every day. Because if you're not doing that, there is no protest that will save this world. If you are not doing justly to those that cross your path, to every human being that you come into contact with, you are not exhibiting the biblical virtue of justice. Let's pray. Father in heaven, give us the grace and faith to live out these virtues daily. Give us the strength of character to care about these things even if they are unpopular with those around us. Father, we ask for the faith to trust that you are the source and substance of all virtue. We ask that you would give us the grace to fear you as we ought, to seek you as we ought, to learn from your word as we ought. We ask that you would make us people who care about justice, 
and do justly to others who set aside ourselves for the sake of those around us. We ask, Father, that you would give us the ability to be wise and temperate and courageous in the way we exercise justice. That in those areas where we disagree with one another on policy and practical implications, we might be able to agree that the sinful and fallen state of this world complicates this matter. And that what we need to do above and beyond all else is to point people to the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the just and the justifier of us all, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Have a great rest of the day and a great weekend.